Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. I hope you all had a good small group today. Um, We certainly had a good discussion and leaders meeting today. Um, But let's pray and then we'll talk. Father, we are so thankful that you um, love us so much. Uh, Father, you have given us great principle um, in your word to apply to this daily grinding out of life. Father, there is much joy Um, in our daily lives, but there is also much stress and trouble, Father. Uh, Lord, you see it all, you orchestrate it all, and you have asked us to walk in your way, Father, and I pray that we will. I hope that you will just guard my mouth. You will help me not to speak untruthful things or things that are unprofitable to believers, Father, but you will use these words to encourage, exhort one another to loving you a little bit better after today. Um, Help us, Father. We need you desperately. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray all of these things. Amen. Um, So we're going to go ahead and get started. And I just want to be really honest. I told the leaders this morning I was going to just absolutely throw them up under the bus. Um, When we divvied out all of the um, chapters for teaching, um, these were the leftovers. Um, (laughs) So uh, nobody was like, yes, I can't wait to teach on um, Joshua 11 and 12. So... Being in the position that I'm in, that fell to me. Um, and when, even when I signed my name, I had no idea what I was putting my name to. Um, and so uh, when we started, when I started getting ready for the book, even last summer, wow, I was really challenged um, in these chapters. So maybe you, um, this really suits you. You like this type of reading in the Bible. Genealogies are your thing or something like that. But this was really challenging for me. But once I listened to it for about the 122nd time, I I was like, oh, now I'm seeing some things. So um, it's going to be a little different for me today. Um, Normally I have everything written out just so, which is always very good when it comes to my mouth. I should be really careful about what I say, but we're just going to kind of be a little bit more casual today Um, because I think um, in God's providence, um, we kind of get to these chapters and it's actually perfect. It worked out perfectly to kind of be a a beginning of a semester. It's a great time to kind of summarize where we've been and where we're headed. Um, And so uh, who knew? Uh, maybe maybe somebody smarter than me in our leaders meeting knew that's how we were going to divide this, and it worked out great. But God was good, and he gave that to us. So um, instead of kind of digging around in something specific, which is what I really generally like to do, um, I'm going to pull back. And instead of focusing on a tree from these scriptures, we're going to pull back and look at some of the bigger principles that we see more clearly here. And so hopefully you had an opportunity to look at um, hardening of the heart, and that is more like a tree that we see in, that, in those passages, and you hopefully did that during um, your study preparing for today. If you didn't, I encourage you to do that. Um, but now let's pull back and look at some of the principles. And the first one I want to look at is that the world is big. Um, we read a lot of names in these chapters, a lot of names that I'm not going to even try to, um, to say out loud for you. But when you read those names, you just read over them. Have you spent any time thinking this is an actual person created by God with a mother and father, wife, children, responsibilities, goats, a home, 
things like that. This is actually a representation of a full life, um, a history of people represented in a name. God is so personal. He is a creator, and he's personal, and he names those people. It grounds us in history. It makes it more real and true. But gosh, that world, when I think about the Bible, I think I've spent most of my life thinking this was the history of the world, and that's not true. This was the history of God. And this world was very big. These names are just representations of what was going on there. Anyways, I thought that should be, I found that to be very impactful for me and want to think about that some more. But that world that is big is also God's world. And that's the second principle I wanted to think about. Um, We have seen, we've talked about some of these verses before. But God was in control of this world from the very beginning. Um, We can go back to Genesis 15, 16, and it tells us there that um, the people of Abraham, that first person of God's people right there, he says, your people will come back in the fourth generation. So many hundreds of years later, I'm going to bring your people back right here. Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So you've got a providence of God, a beautiful providence of gracious gift to the Israelites that they were um, going to be given this land many years later. But also the sovereign providence of God was that he was allowing the Canaanites, he was allowing their sin to be filled out. It hadn't quite been completed. He is patient in his justice and merciful. That was a lot of time there. So this big world is still God's, and he is still controlling. He's he's controlled from the very beginning what is happening. He was very much in control then, and now he's bringing it to completion because we see that they are getting this land. We're seeing a fruition, a completion there, and I'm sure that you guys noticed where you were taken to the Numbers verse in 1333 where the spies report back to the Israelites once they've gone into Canaan, and they said, they have these people there, and they're huge. And it's like a whole group of NBA players. There's absolutely no way. And God used that, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And those were the Anakim, if you didn't know that. There they are. Here they are in chapter 11, and God has, in his sovereign control, defeated those huge giants of people. It's amazing. That's kind of just barely mentioned there. Um, But that's a significant defeat for these little Israelites that felt like grasshoppers in comparison to these people. So this world is big. The world is God's. But God has a people and a plan. And so we see that very clearly in this. He has chosen from the beginning of time a people he would set his heart on. Um, And he tells us that in Exodus 19.5. And the verse says, If you listen to me and keep my commandments, you shall be my people, my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we see that very clearly here. God has set his heart on these Israelite people, and he's given them a great gift of land. Um, It's beautiful. He had a plan, and he's obviously marvelously executing it. The next thing I want you to know is that there are certain things that God wants us to know. 
And I loved this point. Some of you, I know our leaders have this, but Ralph Davis's commentary of Joshua is fun. He's lighthearted. He's brilliant. He's always interesting to read. And, um, and I love that he really pointed out that this Bible that we have is, it's, it's compact. Um, we see very clearly in these chapters a summary. We spent 10 chapters setting up a leader in Joshua as he was working through the Southern campaign. But here in 11 and 12, we've got a summary of the Northern campaign. And it does say that it was, they spent many years conquering this land, but we could just easily miss that and not realize that this was about a seven-year war. That's a long war. Um, a long time for these people to be faithfully going after these people as God led them. Um, God had a, um, and these are things that he wanted us to know. So this this big world with all of these people, he chose certain things that he wants us to know. There are things about God that he wants us to see. And I think that's significant as we treasure God's word, as we here at Grace of Anne and in Women's Bible City, we know that God's word is the authority on, on our lives. It isn't a history of everything that happened in the world. It's the history of what God wants us to know. And the summary of it is beautiful, and it makes it portable. We can actually carry the, God, the history of God's people around in our hands, on, in our phones. Um, everything that he has given to us for life and godliness is right here. Um, it was a long war, a big world, and this is the history that he wants us to know. But does this history, does this plan for his people matter to us? And so while I think that probably you hear don't struggle with this question because you are here um, studying an Old Testament book of Joshua. Um, but it's very common and popular nowadays to say that it is unnecessary for us to spend much time in the Old Testament. We could unhook ourselves from that. We've been given Christ, so everything's been fulfilled in Him. So we just need to know about Him and the explanation of that. And, and while I don't think you struggle with that, many in the world do, and you need to be prepared for that, that this understanding of what God wanted us to know actually matters for how we live our lives. Um, it, it, how, I think one of the most beautiful things is that God, who is so big and so great and so far above us, can be known, and he wants us to know him. Well, what does he want us to know? He wants us to know these things. And these stories of raising up leaders, of conquering a land, of people devoted to destruction, of gifts, these are the things that he wants us to know about him. And it, it forces us to think about who is this God? Who is he? Well, he's patient. He's sovereign. He's providential. He is good, but he's fierce, and he's just. He is many things. And it's these stories that we read about and study in the Old Testament that help us understand who is God. How would we know God if we unhooked ourselves from this? We would be a little lost. Um, we also see a response 
to what we know about God. And we see that in Moses and Joshua. And God wants us to know how Moses and Joshua responded to him. So God said, these are the guys, watch them. And now I'm going to do a mighty work in them. I'm going to raise them up. I'm going to give them a heart for me. I'm going to give them success. And I want you to watch them. And what did Moses and Joshua have to do? They just had to obey. God had given it all to them, and they were to walk out in obedience. Um, The final quality I want you to think about, all of those things, is that God was faithful. He was faithful to his promise that was started even in Genesis 3, And here we see a beautiful fruition of these promises that he's reminded us over in each book of the Bible, over and over and over again. And here we see, now these people have been faithful to me because I have been faithful to them. And now look at what I have given. That is important for us to know. It's important as we wake up in the morning, what is the Lord calling us to do today? How are we to raise our children? How are we to live within our marriages? How are we to live in the stress and trouble that is my later life I didn't expect? How am I to associate or address these difficulties that are beyond my wildest nightmares? How are we supposed to do that? Well, God has told us, he's laid it out for us, and we are to obey in faithfulness because he has been faithful to us. Um, A couple of verses um, just to remind us of who this faithful God is, and then we're going to stop and we're going to do something strange for you today um, and with you today. And um, a couple of verses you might want to write down, Deuteronomy 7, 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Not just one generation. We've seen already many generations, at least four. That's what he said. But now thousands of generations. And then we even go to 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are faithless... He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. For this God is faithful. He is faithful to his people, and he is faithful to remain faithful, because he cannot deny himself. Okay, so we're going to do something. Paula and Janine are going to come up here, and you see a keyboard behind me, and um, and you have hopefully had this experience before. This is not a performance for you. This is something for you to participate in and enjoy. And so if you were here for the Sarah Groves concert, I hope you enjoyed when we sang, He's Always Been Faithful. And that was impactful to me. I think it was a great experience. And I hope that we get to do that. Now, the reason I um, I thought of that is as I was reading this commentary, That chapter 12, as we're reading one by one by one, which seemed like the worst word math problem to me in the whole wide world, Um, right? So dry. And, um, but on second glance, and with the help of Ralph Davis, he says, verses 7 through 24 of Joshua 12 constitute the stanzas for Israel's version of great is thy faithfulness. 
So he conquered. So that seems so dry to us, one by one by one. And yet it was a song. It was a song of victory. Yahweh's ancient word has proven faithful, and it has. So we're going to sing parts of it for you, and we want you to join us as we sing Great is Thy Faithfulness.